There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back. It is Friday night, Southern California. That means it's time for Silver and Black tonight, Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. Scott Branson back with you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great week. We're inching towards the NFL draft just northwest on the I-15 from SoCal, of course, out in Las Vegas, home of your Raiders. The draft is gearing up. Yes, the Raiders don't have rounds one and two to deal with, at least that we know of, unless there's a trade, but there's plenty to talk about. And we want to start tonight's show first by dedicating it to a great Raider that we lost on Thursday. Of course, the mad bomber Daryl LaMonica passed away at the age of 80, a guest on this show in the past. Uh, We will link that uh, up in the corner on YouTube if you're watching us or if you're listening to us on the Mightier 1090. Check out the show afterwards on the podcast feed, and there'll be a link to our show with Daryl LaMonica in there. So our best to the LaMonica families, uh, I'm sure, dealing with what a great loss and a great Raider. Uh, So we certainly want to send out our best to the family and to Raider Nation over that. But tonight we're going to get to right away talking about the NFL draft because the Raiders, they still need a lot of help. Yes, they've had a great offseason thus far, in my view, when it comes to the Devontae Adams trade. They've gone out and gotten the free agents they need to bolster the defensive uh, front inside a little bit. Also on the back end, and of course, uh, they signed Derek Carr to that extension as well. So they've taken care of a lot of the issues. Um, Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniel's been very busy, but they also need to get an influx of young talent. They need talent on the offensive line. They need talent at safety. They still need some more defensive depth. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And doing that with us uh, tonight, um, welcoming back a guest we've had in the past. It is Joe DeLeon. He hosts the NFL Draft po- uh, Prospects podcast as well as the FCS podcast over on our uh, our good network, that our good friends at the network, the Believe Podcast Network. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Joe DeLeon. Joe, thanks for being with us here on Silver and Black tonight. Yeah, I'm excited. We're officially a week away when we're we're taping this. So I'm just excited the NFL draft is finally here. For me, it's it's like Christmas night, but spread out into three days. So getting to talk about the draft, I'm always here for it. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know Raider Nation, you know, for the Raiders have had so many first and second round picks, and let's be be honest, they just have not panned out, which has not been good. So in some ways, I'm hearing from our listeners and viewers that you know, I'm okay maybe with the Raiders. I mean, they 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 got Devontae Adams, and that was almost like their first and second round pick. So people feel uh, really excited about that. But let's start kind of at the macro level, Joe. If you look at this draft, probably the least exciting when it comes to quarterbacks since 2014. Of course, that's the year Derek Carr came out. Um, but there's lots of other talent in this draft, of course. What's particularly strong about the 2022 draft, despite the lack of that sexy quarterback name up in the first round right you you definitely hit the nail on the head there with this quarterback group just not being very good there's there's no premier player there's not a lot of guys that teams are going to be willing to trade up for 
eventually that we might get a run because one guy gets selected if it's Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. But I think a lot of teams are recognizing this is not a quarterback uh, quality draft if you need one. Instead, that depth and that talent is all over these defensive position groups, particularly at edge. There are so many guys that are being brought up in the first top 10 picks and then throughout the first round, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson, Aiden Hutchinson, who's being talked about at the top, uh, George Karloftis. You can keep going down this list with so many talented names in the equation, but we also have really good quality at corner with Derek Stingley and Andrew Booth, uh, as well as Sauce Gardner, some quality back end of the first round guys with Trent McDuffie and Kyer Elam. And then this the safety group is sneaky good as well in the first round with Kyle Hamilton and Jaquan Brisker and Lewis Seen in that conversation at safety. But those are probably the best groups of the bunch, uh, considering if we're talking about depth and then the, the quality of talent overall. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, some of those names you mentioned. But with that with that lack of a quarterback in the first round, uh, despite the depth elsewhere, do you do you anticipate uh, less movement? I mean, you know, in, in, in other years where you have that that quarterback or some of those other positions at the top of the draft where there's a lot of big names, you'll see a lot of movement uh, or seemingly some movement in the first round. Do you anticipate we'll see a slower trade market because of that? Yeah, because what always drives up the trade market in the NFL draft is is the quarterback position. Teams that are, are desperate to hit that reset button. And I think that there's only two guys that teams are going to be willing to really fight for to trade up and be in a position to select. And that is, is primarily going to be Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. What is going mm. to, I think, open things up for trades is that if Malik Willis is available somewhere around pick 10, do the Pittsburgh Steelers pick up the phone and try to move up and go yeah. get him? There's been a lot of connections uh, to him and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Same thing very well can happen with Kenny Pickett. But the one key one that I'm going to be watching for and that I think we should be watching for on draft night is what the Saints are going to do. Mm. They went and got the Philadelphia Eagles pick, uh, one of their first-round picks because they had three at one point, and they weren't doing that, so they had two first-round picks. They were lining themselves up so that they can trade up higher. And I think a lot of people assumed that was going to be for a quarterback. But if you consider what happened during the offseason, losing Toronto Armstead, their offensive line has regressed a little bit over time, especially this last year. So I think once the first two tackles go, whether it is any combination of Evan Neal, Ikemekwanu, and Charles Cross, whoever is the third remaining guy, I'm willing to bet that the phone is going to get picked up by the Saints so that they don't miss out on one of those three guys. Yeah, that sounds like a safe bet to me, uh, which is fitting since the draft is in Las Vegas. Again, Joe DeLeon, <laughs> who hosts the NFL Draft Prospects uh, on the Believe Network, is with us. Uh, we're talking draft. Now let's shift to the Raiders, Joe. Of course, they traded their one and two in the Devontae Adams deal. Uh, they still have needs at offensive line, especially on that right side, defensive tackle, safety, and and linebacker a little bit. Um, if you look at that number 86 pick, if they stay pat where they're at and don't move anywhere, either up in the second uh, or up in the third even, um, and you look at their needs, uh, give us a couple names of guys you think fit in, especially uh, from an offensive line perspective and then from a defensive perspective. Obviously, they're fine on the edge now with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, um, but they need help on the inside. Uh, what do you see there for the Raiders, perhaps at 86? 
Right. I, I think it's probably going to be in the line of an offensive lineman would, would make the most sense because we, we look at what their biggest strength last year was their defense, and there certainly are some holes that they need to fill defensively. But uh, at, at a good stretch of last season, their offensive line wasn't doing very good. They weren't creating very much a very good quality rushing lanes for Josh Jacobs or whoever was carrying the rock last year. So uh, that, I think, to me is, is a big one, is trying to add some offensive linemen. Some of the names that make sense around that spot, uh, Nicholas Petit-Friere from Ohio State, Abraham Lucas from Washington State. He's somebody who has been picking up some steam in terms of some name value. But then also maybe is, is Dylan Parham from Memphis still available, a riser throughout this class? Is Darian Kennard from Kentucky still available, which is probably unlikely? Uh, if they want to reset at center, I think Cole Strange from Chattanooga is a really interesting name as well. And then flipping things defensively, uh, Nick Cross from Maryland, uh, to me, screams a, a total uh, Raiders pick. And I know it's so cliche to say that the Raiders are going to draft an <laughs> athlete, but, but Nick Cross is a really, really good athlete, was one of the best testers at the Combine. And then to hit on, you mentioned that the linebackers that they might be looking at. Leo Chanel, uh, I would be ecstatic if he's available in the third round, but I think he's going to go a lot sooner than that. But a, a guy that I've really pushed for that I think fits comfortably in the third round is Troy Anderson out of Montana, who was a linebacker that was previously, uh, sorry, from Montana State, rather, previously was a starting quarterback for Montana State. Then they move him over to running back, and he's used as a, a multi faceted offensive weapon they transfer him over to the defensive side of the football and he was incredibly dominant to the point where he was in contention for the national defensive player of the year award so a little green to the position fantastic athlete big guy relentless hitter uh that would be a really really nice raiders pick if, if they went with troy anderson in the third round that's uh that's no yeah i agree i mean it, you, you're uh, and to me that that's the thing with line linebacker the position has changed right in the nfl it's that yeah. hybrid position has become such a a part of the game and so that kind of linebacker that at least i grew up i'm older than you uh that i grew up with it doesn't seem to be there anymore and the raiders have you know they went out and signed Corey littleton a couple years ago from the rams that did not work out neither did nick Kwiatkowski from the bears and so they have a need there so that would definitely i think fit in as you look Look at then getting into some of these these um, these uh, lower rounds, and you get, <clears throat> excuse me, you get into the fourth and fifth round, uh, and and what kind of value you see there? Offensive line, defensive tackle. Yeah, offensive line. If we're paying attention to some of these interior guys, I think there's some underrated names to to be aware of. Lasita Smith from Virginia Tech, somewhere uh, round four or round five. Chris Paul from Tulsa uh, is an interesting name to pay attention to. Alec Lidstrom from Boston College. These are some guys that just, I, I think, haven't been talked about a ton, but have some good quality value because that they've been long-term starters and contributors uh, for the, the, the programs that they've played for. The one thing I will say, the defensive line group gets progressively more and more underwhelming mm. as the draft goes on. It is not a very deep group. It's probably one of the weaker groups of the class. But Thomas Booker from Stanford is incredibly underrated. I, I think that he hasn't been talked about enough in his capabilities and the impact that that he can provide. Uh, Fendarian Mathis is somebody who, throughout his career, has been talked up coming from Alabama, uh, and and might benefit or the Raiders might benefit from him sliding a little bit into the into day three. So. 
those to me are probably the bigger defensive tackle names to be paying attention to uh, for the Raiders on day three. Joe, let me ask you this question. Obviously, this is going to be uh, Dave Ziegler's first um, um, draft as a GM and, and, of course, first with the Raiders. What what can we learn from maybe his involvement in what has been built and what has happened in New England uh, there under Bill Belichick? Is there anything from a draft strategy perspective? Of course, he's his own guy. He's going to do things at least a little differently, but you kind of take on the persona of those people who mentor you, at least in my career, that's how it's been. Um, what do you think about Dave Ziegler and what we might expect and what Raider fans because you're right Raider fans are used to going back to the Al Davis days uh, getting the best athlete and sometimes reaching for guys because they're a good athlete versus Mm -hmm. what you have around need what can we learn from what the Patriots have done uh, and and maybe see a little bit of what Dave Ziegler might be up to yeah I, I think that paying attention to how Bill Belichick and any of his disciples have approached building a roster it has been through getting high character guys uh guys that can provide multi multiple levels of impact so i'm talking about players that they see as guys that they can throw out there on special teams guys that they know are going to give 100 percent effort to cover punts and cover kicks like that to me is is always been the the bread and butter for building these really good rosters for the new england patriots and a lot of times these young guys don't really step in and have immediate impacts, but what you kind of get with some of these players that the Patriots have, have drafted over the, the tenure of Bill Belichick is guys that maybe start out playing special teams, start to increase their role, and because they're working really hard and they acknowledge that the coaching staff acknowledges that they're putting in that effort, they eventually start working themselves into a, a starting role. So those high-character guys, maybe those long-term projects that are are strong athletes, but the the big thing too, definitely high character has always been a, a main approach for you know building building throughout the draft. And they've taken some risks, obviously, on free agents that don't necessarily fit that high character mold with Antonio Brown and uh, Randy Moss and, and Josh <laughs> Gordon, and the list could probably go on and on. But I think that the, they've always tried to play it a little bit safer when it comes to the draft. Yeah, no question. Uh, Joe DeLeon hosts the NFL Draft Prospe- uh, Prospects podcast for the Believe Network. He is our guest here on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Um, Joe, let me ask you this. You look at the draft uh, and what's happening this year. You know, last year was so odd because of COVID. There were a lot of kids who hadn't played. And so um, I think scouting was a real difficult thing last year because you had some kids that were coming out that you didn't get film on. It was two years old in some cases, or at least a year old. Um, Now you had a full season in college football uh, this past year. What what do you expect uh, from this draft that maybe we didn't see the last couple because of COVID. Yeah, I think the big thing that we're going to get differently this year is the massive amounts of depth that this class has. Mm. And he talked about the restrictions with scouting. It made it difficult to verify a lot of these numbers. But the other thing that COVID did is a lot of guys that were unsure of what they wanted to do decided to come back for an extra year. There were also guys that maybe weren't playing that transferred to other programs But the other thing, too, there was this phenomenon almost, especially amongst the FCS guys, of during that peak COVID period of time when it was like April, May, June, and a lot of these states were in lockdown, I kind of like to talk about it as the the, the garage gym period of time for some of these guys where they're just sitting in their their houses back home. They're bored out of their minds, so they're just sitting in their 
in their garage gyms or the or the gyms of buddies and they're just lifting and eating and and that was what <laughs> helped a lot of these guys that maybe weren't that developed that they started to develop into draft prospects and because of that all of those things it is an extremely deep class there are going to be guys that are undrafted free agents this year that could turn into long-term starters for a lot of these teams. Uh, it's a tough year to decide to declare because of that, and there's going to yeah. be a lot of guys that slip through the cracks. Thankfully, we've got the USFL and the XFL popping up to maybe help them, but a lot, a lot of depth in the 2022 NFL draft because of those circumstances. Yeah, that's a fascinating story, and and that's, what, that's why uh, I, I've been telling Raiders fans, I said, listen – because you're a football fan. Yes, of course, you have your team. If you're a Raider fan, you're a Raider fan. But at the same time, there's so much depth and you're going to see guys and you're going to you're going to watch, especially the AFC West, as much of it's changed. You think about the AFC West, Joe, and I have to ask you this question, too, which is the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Of course, they lost Tyreek Hill. This this may overjoys, of course, Raiders fans out there listening to us. Um, any struggles the Chiefs have uh, is a good day for, for Raider fans. But when you look at them in 12 picks overall and the depth in the draft, is this one of those drafts where, boy, you can you can kind of sit there, uh, use those picks, and really lock up some guys uh, that might have slipped through the cracks before, but now you have the ability to really impact your roster. What do you think about the Chiefs having that many picks? Do they keep them all? Do they defer some to next year? What's your take on that so far? I definitely think that they're going to keep as many picks as possible. And I think Brett Veach is trying to be strategic with this. And he understands that this is such a unique circumstance with the amount of depth. I, I mean, heck, if if I'm being honest, if you're a, a team in the AFC West, and I know that all these teams loaded up to compete with the Chiefs, I would still be scared of, of whatever they're going to do during this draft. You look at the guys that they got last draft with Nick Bolton, uh, Trey mm. Smith, Creed Humphrey. Those were guys that not only were starting rookies, none of them were first-round picks, but they were high-level starters. They were some of the best players at their position, and they were super high-impact rookies. So knowing how good they are at drafting and drafting mid-to-late-round picks, man, I I would be a little bit worried about what they're going to do because 12 picks, I believe is what you said, that is a lot of opportunities. It's going to allow them to take some maybe some risks which is mm. uh, even additionally scarier, but th- they're going to have some nice chances to to build out some depth and, and get some really de- real, real quality players. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be a crazy. I think it's gonna be a fun draft to watch yeah. and to to monitor, and we certainly appreciate it. Make sure you check out Joe uh, on the NFL Draft Prospects podcast, also the FCS Football uh, podcast as well on the Believe Podcast Network. Joe's been on the show before; he'll be on again. Joe, we'll have to catch up with you after the draft to get your take on what the Raiders were able to do. Make sure you follow him too at Joe DeLeon uh, on Twitter. Joe, thanks for joining us again here on Silver and Black tonight. For sure. Thanks for having me on. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Joe DeLeon from the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, check out his NFL Draft Prospects podcast. Uh, we're up against our first break. Oh, by the way, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to us on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio, thank you. You can sign up for our podcast feed, so in case you miss the show, you can always get the audio. But you can also subscribe on YouTube as we simulcast the show there as well. If you want to watch us, uh, if you do that, hit the notification bell so you don't uh, lose track of the show and you always get notified when we go live. When we come back, we're going to talk about more on the draft. We're going to talk about the draft and Shoshin. 
Yes. My good friend Michael Lombardi from The Daily Coach uh, had a great piece. Evan Grote from Just Pod Baby is going to join me. We're going to talk through how much of a crapshoot is the draft. doesn't matter who the team. We'll talk through that as well as we roll on with Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. That, of course, is Silver and Black tonight here only on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Raider Nation, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Now back to Scott and Mo on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back. It is Silver and Black tonight only here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Thanks for being with us. Again, thanks to Joe DeLeon from the Believe Podcast Network and his NFL Draft Prospects podcast. What a great rundown we had. If you missed that, by the way... If you're watching here on YouTube, you can just go ahead and rewind and watch the beginning. If you're listening to us on the radio, make sure you subscribe. So, so Evan, so the, the Derek Carr contract, three years, $120 million. They can walk away from it after a year. Tell me what you think of it uh, overall and what it means for the Raiders. Yeah, of course, that news came down while I was away, and I did have a chance to listen to the show that you did where you talked a lot about the the extension of Derek Carr. And I I agree uh, with a lot that you had to say. I believe it's a win-win for both parties involved. Uh, when you look at it from Derek Carr's perspective, he gets the extension. He gets to stay with a team that he said it was either the Raiders or bust. He was willing to hang it up and play golf. And I know that you, know, you, you agree that you believe him when he says that. Um, if things work out over the next couple of years, he's going to have a lot of guaranteed money coming his way, a hundred upwards of a hundred million dollars, I believe over the next couple of years. Um, and he gets that no trade clause, which I think is big. Um, you know, I think he was tired of hearing about the possibilities of, of then moving on from him. So I think he's happy. He gets what he wants. And I think he deserves a lot of credit because he said all along that, um, he didn't necessarily need to take the whole bag, as they say. He was willing to take a little <laughs> bit less to make sure that they could bring in some guys to help build around him. And he lived up to his word. Uh, in the first couple of years of the contract, it's a very team-friendly deal. I think his cap hit this year will be around $19.8 million or $19.3 million. Very manageable. It does rise into like $34 million next year. Uh, which again, I think is still manageable when you look at some of these oh, yeah. quarterback contracts that are out there. And 
should things not work out, the Raiders have the ability to get out of that contract, as you mentioned, uh, with only you know five point six million dollars of dead cap salary. So, um, you know, we knew this move was eventually was coming. Um, I think that the Raiders, the front office is happy. They get a quarterback that they believe they can win with right now, and they get him for a team friendly number, at least for the first two seasons. Yeah, there's no question. And I mean, you look at it, Evan, seven and a half million dollar signing bonus, which is in for a quarterback of his stature, practically nothing. Um, and the twenty five million for two thousand. So so here you have a guy here that that listen, I expect him to do well this season. I really do, two thousand twenty two, with all the weapons he has around him. If they fix the offensive line a little more and get some more depth there. There's no reason why we wouldn't see a good season out of Derek Carr. So he he then finishes the year with $32 million off of the, the contract he made last time. You know, he's set for life. He doesn't have to worry about money. And I think this shows that he wants to win. He was willing to give up that money. They knew the Devonta Adams stuff could happen. Now, uh, as of yesterday, too, he's rooting and talking about how they need to give Hunter Renfro more money as well. Darren Waller inexplicably is left out of the conversation, by the way. We'll talk about that later. But nonetheless, uh, this is a great deal. And again, they can walk away after a year. They have three days until after the Super Bowl. So if Derek Carr goes out and has a baller year, great. Then they they let it roll over. Uh, they pay him $33 million next year, which is still a bargain, uh, especially if they go deep in the playoffs. Uh, and now you look at it, Evan, he ranks about 11th on the quarterback pay list, even after the extension. I think this is beyond a team-friendly deal, and I think it does show genuinely, you know, we had Mike Florio call him a phony saying, oh, he wouldn't play and all this stuff. But in reality, I think his actions speak louder than words. Yeah, you know, he. I think he did um, receive some criticism uh, back when he signed that first extension, especially after what transpired with Khalil Mack not yeah. being uh, signed. A lot of people thought, oh, you know, they gave it all to Carr and he didn't leave any of it for his buddy Khalil Mack. You know, he's in a much different position now here in 2022. Um, he's been the highest paid player in the league. He's spoken about that many times. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't need that again. His family, uh, they're financially set up for, forever now and his number one priority is winning and I'm not saying that it wasn't always winning but he has he knows the narrative that is out there surrounding him <laughs> uh, now entering year nine uh, without a playoff win he wants to change that yeah no doubt and he controls his own destiny right I mean if he wants to stay a Raider like he says he does for his whole career he's just got to go out and play really well if he plays really well then his contract rolls over and he gets all that guaranteed dough so that's uh, phenomenal as well um, but but it, it, incredible just how all of this has come together for the Raiders and as we head into the draft uh, and we'll talk to you next time more about after the draft but you look at the, what the Raiders are doing they don't have a first or second round pick um, the draft always Always to me, and I talked about this with Kelly last week uh, as well, Evan, which was, you know, the draft to me is, it's just a crapshoot, right? Because no matter, we, we spend all this time as media, as podcast hosts, radio hosts, newspaper writers, covering the draft ad nauseum. And it's a huge TV thing now, right? It has been for many decades now. Um, I used to be a lot more into it uh, as a fan than, than even as a journalist. And and I just look at it and, and I think, I asked Kelly last week if it jumped the shark. And in some ways, I think it has 
just because it's become an event, it's an entertainment event. But when it comes to building teams, uh, Evan, you look at things and you say, wow, you know what? It doesn't always end up being like, like you think it's going to be. I mean, look at all the Raiders picks they had over the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that to pick on past administrations, to pick on Mike Mayock or John Gruden. I'm just saying it overall. That's why when I read this piece um, on the Daily Coach called the the draft and uh, the NFL draft and association, uh, um, it caught my eye. And let me tell you why. I'm going to uh, get your reaction here in a, in a second, Evan. But they what that what it talks about in the story, and, and you can see it here on the screen. We'll show it to you on the video, and we'll link it in the in the description below on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. The success rate of drafting talent is about the same as when teams relied on the sporting news, a printed sporting news in the 1950s, okay? 17 years ago, economist Richard Thaler and Cade Massey did a study of the history of the draft where they analyzed it, and what they discovered was that despite the time and money that football teams devoted to the draft, they weren't very effective at predicting who would be the best selection. In fact, uh, the 52, there was a 52% chance that a player picked uh, in the first is better than a player picked at the same position later on. And so this idea of Shoshin is the belief that, quote, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert minds, there are few. So, Evan, you think about this uh, as we get into Eastern philosophy here <laughs> on Silver and Black tonight. Um, but th- the fact that there is no better with all the data, with the computers, with the analytics, all the stuff that we hear about that has changed the game and sports in general uh, we're seeing that there's no better return on draft picks than when they used to use printed copies of the sporting news. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my first reaction when, when you sent me the link and I started reading the article, I think I, I have a, I, I have a strong belief that if you, myself, Mo Moten and Kelly Kreiner got together, we could have some success in the draft. I really do believe that, at least in the early rounds. Yes. At least in the early rounds. I do believe that. But yeah, I, I found the article very interesting as well. Um, in fact, I, I wrote down some notes here myself from the article. That study that you mentioned that those two men did concluded that fifty-two. there's a 52% chance that a player picked first is better uh, than a player picked at, at the same position later in that draft. 52%. I mean, that, you're yeah. talking about flipping a coin and the article yes. points that out. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I also had one other quote here that I wanted to share that I, I found interesting. And then I'd like to expand on that. NFL teams believe they are experts continue. Uh, they continue with the same thought processes. They always, they, they they've always had, they, and they never examine different possibilities or, yeah. um, express fears that they may be wrong. And I think when you look back, you know, at the history of the Raiders organization, you look at Al Davis and, um, you know, especially the later years of Al Davis still kind of set in those same ways of thinking, the same ways of building a team. And, you know, I think maybe he didn't evolve enough, you know, uh, years Mm -hmm. ago, back in the seventies, when he built his teams, speed, toughness, all those things. And he tried to, 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 do the same things later on. And we saw him draft guys like Darius Hayward Bay, bad pick Stanford (laughs) route. Right. But the philosophy never changed, but the game did change. And I think that's sometimes where, you know, these guys, these, these experts, the owners and general managers, they, they run into some problems. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And in fact, um, um, 
in the piece, um, Lombardi talks about three things, and I want to touch on these with you, Evan, that 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 NFL teams fail with draft picks because of three things. One is they fail to be curious about attempting different processes to procure talent, meaning they don't think about different ways of evaluating players. They just continue to repeat the same process, and you just mentioned that just a minute ago. Second, they don't disrupt individual thinking. They rely on groupthink. So this is the room. If you saw the, 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 the movie Moneyball, which is, of course, about baseball and the Oakland A's, it was that 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 group of of scouts. They all think the same way, uh, and and they're being judged in the short term, and they don't think about the long term, so they make decisions. And then third, embrace naivete. And <laughs> I can't speak today. Um, but stop trying to get people to conform to longstanding behaviors. Uh, and he he has a, a Henry Ford quote in here, which I thought was interesting. Which is, I'm looking for a lot of people with an infinite capacity to not know what can't be done. So in essence, Evan, you know what what they're saying there is, hey, you 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 have to you have to always question about your decision making. That you have to think about things differently. That you can't approach every single draft the same way or you'll get the same results or worse results because you're not pressing against that thinking. Um, and this is something I think we all encounter no matter what we do for a living. I mean, you're in education, right? If you just did the same thing over and over again, repeat the process and didn't adjust based on the kids you're teaching, uh, you might have the same results or worse results. Um, it's fascinating to me that with as much money as involved in the NFL that they don't change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the things I think happens in the NFL, you always hear about it. It's a copycat league. So yes. when, when, when there's a team that finds something and has some success with that model, every other team decides, well, we got to do that because this team is successful. This, this is a winning organization. And uh, you know, and, and that's what happens. And I think part of that is what you're seeing with the Raiders. Now the Raiders, uh, they bring in two guys from a winning organization and the general manager and the head coach. They're trying to replicate that that winning model, that winning way of success. We know it's called the Patriot way. So I do think because the league is known as a copycat league, that could also lead to some of these problems that you're seeing. These guys not willing to evolve. Yeah, and I, th I think that's what we saw with, with John Gruden a bit, right? John Gruden, to me, was Absolutely. always a good offensive coach. I know some people had a play, uh, issues with his play calling at times, as did I. Um, but you look at how he went about acquiring talent, and it, it, it that's why I think some of us were like, why did you overdraft this guy, or why did you sign that guy? Like, nobody could quite understand it, because you get into patterns of behavior, and as this Soshin talks about is in the beginning, in the beginner's mind, when you're new to something, you don't know what you don't know. So you, you don't have any preconceived notions about how you go about it. So in an expert's mind, you've done it so many times, you fall into the trap of doing it the same way. So, so while there is the possibility that Dave Ziegler and the Raiders could do exactly what they did in New England, um, he's also the first time as a general manager. So you have to hope and you have to think that maybe he'll do it differently. I just found the whole piece and the whole concept uh, fascinating because it really is. You know, sometimes you're you 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 know too much, uh, and and that prohibits you from thinking differently. Yeah, and you know, um, 
as as a leader or a general manager or a coach or a teacher, whatever it may be, you want to make sure that you have a certain set of principles and 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 philosophies that kind of guide all of your decision making. But at the same time, you have to be willing to adapt and to modify and to adjust that thinking, you know, based on, again, as a teacher, the student that you may be working with, or if you're a coach, the, the player that you're dealing with. So, and I do think that Dave Ziegler, based on uh, some of what we heard from him in his press conference this week, you know, he talked about, um, you know, not drafting for need, drafting best player available. I think, you know, sometimes people get locked into one way of thinking, we have to address this need, we have to address this need. He told us that, you know, he's going to draft, uh, uh, take take the best football player available. And, and I think, Raider fans should be excited for that. Yeah, and Evan, that was I, I thought um, you brought up the press conference with Dave Ziegler, and I really appreciated it. And, and I actually tweeted out about it because I said Raider fans are sort of freaking out in a good way um, because the, to me, for the first time since I've covered the Raiders, it really feels professional. I mean, it feels like Dave Ziegler comes out there. He does. He gives the media what they need. He doesn't give them too much. You can definitely see the Belichick um, influence there. He's not going to give you too much. He's not. He didn't give anybody anything in 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 the press conference the other day about where they're tip, where they're going to pick, or how they're going to pick, or if they're going to go offense or defense. He didn't give anybody anything. Yet he was professional. They've gone about their business in a way. There's no leaks. There's no trouble off the field, knock on wood, um, as there has been over the last several years. Uh, and and to me, um, that's really refreshing. And, and while some fans are pushing back on me saying, well, they haven't done anything yet. It is a different feel, and and I think that that's going to that's going to bode well. And I think Raider fans, the 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 positive Raider fans out there, they're noticing that these guys are going about their business in a much different way. Yeah, it, it, there's a much different feel. I agree with you. As I was watching the press conference, um, just a different vibe, much more professionalism, business like. Like it, this is this is a job, and 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 they're on a mission right. to accomplish this job. Um, uh, he seems much more organized. You, you hear him talking about checking off lists and those types of things. He seems like he has all of his ducks in a row. And uh, again, I, I think that should be something that Raider fans get excited about because. Uh, you know, as much as, you know, I, I liked Mike Mayock. I thought he was a good talent evaluator. Uh, but you know, just, just a different feel. Like you said, maybe not as professional, not as buttoned up and business-like. Yeah. But, but not only that, Evan, I think, I think you look at what this organization has done throughout it, right? It's not just Ziegler and McDaniels. They, they filled the front office with people that he can delegate duties to. I thought that we all knew that Mike Mayock, no matter, and, and I like Mike Mayock too, but th he was not the GM. He was GM in name only. We all knew Gruden was running the ship from top to bottom. And so everything started and ended with Gruden. And so now you have a situation where you have leadership, but you also have people in key positions that are there helping, evaluating, and they are talented as well. And they have player personnel experience. And to me, having that team, having his ability for someone to watch his back, watch your blind spot, right? Because we all have blind spots. And we miss things and we don't make good decisions and we need somebody, um, as Evan and I will tell you because we've been married and our wives tell us all the time what we're doing wrong. Um, you, you have somebody there though that helps you with that. And to me, that can't, that's, that can't be lost on me either is the fact that they have improved the organization throughout. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's part of what made uh, bringing in the duo of, of, of Ziegler and, and McDaniels attractive is because they have a history together going back to their days at college and, you know, they come in uh, like-minded, uh, but clear uh, there's a hierarchy there. You know, you, Ziegler is in charge of personnel. Uh, McDaniels will have some input, but his job is to, to run things on the field and Ziegler's job is to run things off the field. And personally, not to, not to bring up old things, but I was never a fan of, of giving John Gruden so much control. I just never yeah. liked that. Um, especially when you look at his track record, you know, with personnel decisions, I always thought that was a bad move from the start. Uh, I would have liked to seen, uh, what, Mayotte could have done with more control of the roster, but that's, that's, you know, that's all in the past now, but yeah, I do like the fact that, um, uh, Ziegler and, and McDaniel seem to be just totally on the same page and, and supportive of one another and, and just, you know, working as, as, as one. No doubt Ziegler. And then of course they brought in champ Kelly. They have Dwayne Joseph there on personnel as well. So just a really solid front office, man. We are all, we are almost out of time. Um, Evan, it's been great having you on by the way, Evan's podcast, just pod baby, make sure you subscribe. Evan, you're going through the entire AFC West this week, right? Kind of behind enemy lines, giving a sense for what's going on in the division with player uh, acquisition and where they're at. Absolutely, it's been a it's been a wild off season in the NFL, but uh, no division saw more uh, splash moves made than the AFC West. So what I what I what I did this week was I, I spoke to writers from each team to kind of give us a feel of where each team stands heading into the draft. So I get a lot of good insight, a lot of good information. You don't want to miss this episode. No, you do not. You don't ever want to miss it. So you make sure you go subscribe to Just Pod Baby wherever you get your podcast. Evan, thanks again, man. We'll talk to you real soon. We'll get your thoughts after the draft to see how the Raiders do. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. That is Evan Grote, Just Pod Baby. We appreciate it. We can't believe it. We are already out of time. Raider Nation, thanks for joining us. Of course, next week, the NFL Draft out in Las Vegas. We will have the latest and greatest information for you. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, SNB Tonight. I am at LV Gully. He is at EGroat5 for Evan Grote. And, of course, our partner, Mo Moten, at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. For everybody here at Silver and Black Tonight, take care, Southern California. You're listening to Silver and Black Tonight only on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Good night now. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio.